Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Right now, Dr. John Murray from the University of Manitoba in the Department of Family Medicine, a curriculum expert, joining us on the phone. Uh, John, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Anderson. It's a pleasure to be here uh, during these extraordinary times that we're in. Aren't they ever, eh? And please call me Hal, uh, because I'm going to call you John. John, first day at home uh, with the kids uh, out of school for, listen, some parents jumped the gun and did it early last week, and I don't blame them. And then uh, first day for some today. um, Help us get through this. Your your initial thoughts as as we enter uh, kids at at home, and, and, you know, how do we keep them somewhat educated and, and not bored and, and don't just, you know, let them off the hook completely. Well, this is an excellent time to frame something like this, particularly because now the, the parents, uh, either willingly or not willingly, have been thrust into leadership roles on the education front. So I, I might, Hal, just frame a couple of introductory thoughts that I think might be uh, useful uh, to us at, at this time. Uh, and being a parent sure. of five children myself, I probably have a few things uh, that I might be able to say of, of merit. Uh, first off, we all recognize that children have needs for structure, for education, for exercise, for good supportive social contacts, an appropriate amount of leisure time, and maybe most importantly at this time uh, from parents and caregivers, is to provide a kind of calm and rational explanation as to what's going on in their immediate environment and perhaps elsewhere in the world. And by virtue of being in a state of emergency here in the province and having our schools uh, out for at least three weeks, uh, we have a tremendous opportunity here to learn from the lessons of what has occurred in Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan has now sent their kids back to school as of today uh, after only three weeks out. And during those three weeks, they were able to put in place all of the necessary infrastructure to make those schools uh, safe again for their kids and maybe a little bit more on that later. And perhaps the most important consideration at at this time for our parents is is to not panic and encourage the fact that the very best place that they can be right now is at home with their kids. Yeah, right, absolutely. Hey, before we carry on the conversation, I have to ask you, five kids of your own, what ages, and, and are they at home? Are you at home? Are they at home with you? Tell us your situation, and then we'll carry on. Okay. Well, my situation may seem uh, somewhat more distinct uh, because all five of our children are now grown. Uh, they're all in their 20s oh, okay. now. Uh, but we do, have, we do have one child who, who is at home, uh, mid-20s, and, and self-isolating along with mom and dad. And, and that's really the situation right now. But by virtue of 25-odd years in education uh, behind me, I, I may have some thoughts that will hopefully be helpful to those who have little ones at home. And for those who are faced with at least three weeks and, and needing some sort of opportunities and, and options. Yeah, now I, I sidetracked wanting to hear your situation. So, yes, carry on, because I do think you're, you're the right guy to give some advice right now. So get a little more specific. Okay, in terms of the specifics... Uh, we're currently faced with what normally would have been uh, the time of spring break on the calendar. Uh, the first thing that I would recommend is, is that the, the kids cannot treat this as a three-week summer vacation coming early. So I would encourage parents to set a schedule uh, for weekdays and, and for weekends. And so that from Monday to Thursday, so I would recommend a four-on, three-off kind of situation 
for those four days, let's say Monday through Thursday, no sleep ends, regular schedule, and operate as much uh, as we could in terms of a regular school day. Now, how about some specifics? Well, first of all, the kids are going to need to have a homeschool place uh, in the house that is bright and that it's going to be encouraging them uh, to be in a, in a working type of frame of mind. And so it might imply taking one room in the house and rolling that over with the help of the kids, rolling it over into a, a learning environment for them. So that will be their dedicated, attractive area in, in the home. Now, for, for parents, they need to recognize that they don't have to be education specialists. So don't panic about math. Don't panic about science. What I would recommend is maybe a day that might go something like this. Uh, the morning hours, let's say from about 9 until 10.30, is an ideal time for looking for opportunities around the home to blend science, math, art, and creativity into what the kids are doing. So rather than working through worksheets, maybe help mom and dad uh, bake something that involves measuring, that involves uh, seeking out the, the right ingredients, and, and recognizing that the, the morning situation is probably the best for those kind of things that are technical. They're going to need breaks because they're accustomed to recess. So recess can be certainly within the confines of the home or maybe the confines of a fenced-in backyard. Uh, we don't want to have our kids and their, and their folks uh, walking the neighborhoods at this time. It, it's, it's still too early. So if we can recognize that, that it may be an opportunity for us to structure a day, uh, beginning with things that are fairly closely structured in the morning, having a good lunch break in the middle part of the day and some playtime, and I would recommend that, that all contact with social media and idle web browsing and, and screen time that's not arguably educational in intent, uh, that should only be left to those so-called after-school hours, let's say after 3 or after 4 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. The, the afternoon session would probably be the best time for something more kinesthetic, uh, kids working with their hands. So each day maybe have a, a different craft that they'll be involved in, something that they can build with, with Lego blocks and have as much interaction with their siblings if they have them and with their parents and, and their caregivers as possible. Another good thing to do in the late afternoon is that it's going to be chore time so that each day there'll be something of variety that needs to be done around the home that the kids can become directly involved in. And, and this can actually even take on the form of a game. So they could organize uh, the drawers and cupboards of their bedroom. Uh, they could help a parent wash some clothes and, and measure the detergent. Uh, they can vacuum a portion of the house, for example. Uh, they could even go through some of their clothing and decide what they might like to uh, donate and give away to those who may be struggling uh, some months uh, down the road. So if we can imagine that, that the school day now transfers uh, from being away from us and from away from our thinking, it's now going to be coming home. And, and in a sense, we all adopt a form of, of being the homeschooling parent or the homeschooling guardian. And, and in that, we could actually end up with some really enriching experiences and some really good opportunities. And for example, I like to think going forward, we may have dozens and dozens of wonderful ideas for changes in the school system that will actually come out of these homeschooling environments that have suddenly been created for us. So think of that as potentially a, a real positive.
The last thing that I I'll would tell you what, uh, John, uh, John, I'm yeah, just, I just want to, I just want to interrupt quickly and tell you, I'm letting you go on and on more than I might with a guest, and it's because this is excellent stuff. I'm not, I don't have kids, but you've obviously given this a lot of thought, and and so far this is excellent. I think parents are are really benefiting from what you're saying here. Now, I I apologize, I interrupted. Finish your thought. Oh, thank you, Hal. No, not not a problem. I I might have a tendency to perhaps go on and on and on. Now, this next point might be considered a, a, a little bit severe, but it's one that I might recommend for those who like to build spreadsheets. And that, that could be a parent. It could even be one of your children. Uh, it'll be a very important thing for kids to take an opportunity to track this process at home. And so what I might recommend is that the thermometer is available. Uh, all the kids have an opportunity to have a dedicated thermometer for themselves, and they will take their own temperature and record that in a spreadsheet. Uh, each day or maybe even twice a day and in addition to that have a column for screen time on their phone or on their tablet so that they're monitoring how much time that they're spending uh, online and, and and any other type of comments that that might come from that because this could be really interesting data for a family after let's say three weeks six weeks uh, nine weeks and beyond yeah just to see what kind of uh, what kind of behaviors have been changed and maybe most importantly taking those temperatures and and watching for even as much as a fraction of a degree steady rise in temperature right. over a period of days uh, something good to do absolutely this is fantastic stuff john so let me ask you another question we're you know we've got CGOB is almost wall-to-wall COVID-19. You turn on the TV, you pick up a newspaper, you go online, it's everywhere. How much of that should we be exposing our kids to? That's an excellent point, and I would recommend, uh, I I wouldn't treat this as as advice, but I would recommend uh, that that type of exposure to information be age-graded. Uh, so by that, I mean, if you have very young children who may be uh, late preschool or, let's say, uh, up to about grades three or grades four, uh, the concentration should be what's happening in the immediate environment. You know, what's my neighborhood situation like and, and my safety level? And is my community uh, a safe place to be? Uh, for older, uh, especially older teenage students, we have an excellent online opportunity through the, an amazing app that is available through the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, I look at this at least a half a dozen times a day. It's a totally interactive, up-to-the-minute opportunity to literally scan the world and see what the current state of coronavirus is, uh, right down to the level of one's own city. So you could have a situation where each day there's a little mini report uh, from the world that's coming from an older sibling uh, in the household. Uh, it's exceedingly important in my estimation that no matter what the age of the kids are, that they be given the straight goods with respect to COVID-19. It's it's not something for them to be hidden from, but something to be made aware of. And then at the very, very same instance, provide the the Mm -hmm. nurturing environment that they really do need to decrease their level of potential fear. My buddy Serge Balkan over at PMC Forest Insurance, I I called him up on the weekend. Uh, He joins us on the phone here now to have a quick conversation. Serge, good afternoon. Hey, Hal. So I asked, I've been phoning people like you in my life, friends and and associates, and uh, and asking, hey, how how is all this affecting you? 
And uh, you were telling me that you are getting some calls from your clients, business owners, who are saying, hey, I've had to shut my business down or I've had to reduce business drastically. Can I put in a claim for loss of business through my insurance? And the short answer is no. Unfortunately, yeah. there's no coverage on business interruption or supply chain disruption due to a pandemic such as this. Uh, unfortunately, it only responds if physical damage occurs. So that's the, uh, it's unfortunate. You know, I got a phone call, a uh, quick story from a dog kennel, and I was like, how, how can it affect you? And now she was the first one to call me. And she said, Serge, I got a rotation of about 30 to 40 uh, professionals that travel often to Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and they drop me off their dogs for three days at a time. That's gone. And she made half of her annual income over spring break and with nobody traveling. Um, so that was an example of somebody who who inquired. Now, of course, restaurants with the business slowing down or shutting down. Uh, but yeah, as an example, that's that's a few of them that, that have uh, contacted me regarding that. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? I mean, those are the kind of calls that you expect to get from your clients saying, hey, am I covered for this? Because the the reality is we don't read all that small print. We, we you know, we, we just don't. Um, but you were saying to me that you believe, just as a as a uh, an insurance guy at at the local level you think that this covid-19 may change things going forward for sure because <clears throat> this is something that's never it's never really happened uh in 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 the you know in the yeah. last last few years so i could see something like this be either a uh, specifically written in the policy saying no coverage or maybe something that's available a little bit like earthquake or things like that. So who knows? We'll we'll see what the insurance industry does after this. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is one heck of a of of a of a time we're in, and you know uh, we're we're adjusting as we go. Every every minute, yeah. something changes. Yeah, it really is minute by minute in many cases, hour by hour, certainly daily and, and well, weekly. This is happening much faster than than weekly. Uh, you know, I've talked to some people one day, and later that day they're saying, hey, what I told you, out the window, we're now doing it this way, and that's just the way it is. So let's say going forward after we get through this, uh, an insurance company may say, hey, we have pandemic insurance available. But I would imagine now, after what we're seeing with this, unprecedented shutting down of the economy, people, you know, by the millions in North America uh, staying home and uh, people uh, contracting this virus and getting sick and in some cases uh, even dying as well, I would imagine that if pandemic coverage is available in the future on an insurance policy. After this, it won't be cheap. I mean, I guess an insurance no. company will insure you, but it's not going to be cheap, is it? For sure. No, it's not going to be cheap. And and I think the big thing right now is how long is it going to take us to get out of this? How long yeah. is industry going to be really shut down? If we shut down like we have right now and we respect our, our spaces and, you know, like us, we're not contacting with clients at all. We're only doing it over right. the phone and email and, you know, the different companies doing different things to stay healthy. Can we lick this in a month? Then it's not as bad. But if we don't look after each other and it takes three four months 
it's going to really hurt a lot of people more than what we really imagine. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be uh, not Armageddon, but it's going to, it's going to be bad. It's going to take a long time to get over this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's why I've said here before, I think that government in Manitoba and here in Winnipeg moving pretty quickly uh, to make sure that we, physically distance ourselves and, and all that sort of stuff whereas yep. you've seen other parts of the world and even some states in in the u.s like new york uh where they are in big big trouble and hopefully uh, here it will not become as big a deal as it is in some other places hey serge thanks a lot for this stay safe my friend anytime buddy have a great day so the olympics are a go still That could change. But so far, the Olympics are a go. But likely not until next year. This became clear after the International Olympic Committee announced Sunday it was considering a postponement because of the coronavirus. Canada says it won't send athletes unless the Games are held next year. And Matt Carroll, head of Australia's Olympic Committee, says it's the right call. We have to look after not only just our athletes and officials, but also their families who are feeling concerned for their their, uh, you know, their sons and their daughters. Pressure has been mounting on the IOC not to hold the games this summer. Japan has more than 1,700 coronavirus cases, including 712 from a cruise ship with at least 43 deaths. I'm Julie Walker. So we'll see what happens. Joining us on the phone now, Jeff Powell, the executive director of the Canadian Sports Centre here in Manitoba and a former Olympian. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, Hal. How are you? Great. So this was the right decision, though, by Canada and Canadian athletes, right? Oh, there's no question about it at all. As much as there is an incredible amount of personal disappointment for the athletes, everyone in the sport community recognizes that their health, the health of their families, and the health of our communities is far more important. Are you surprised that they haven't made a decision by now on on just saying they're not happening they're going to happen next year. Are you surprised it's taking uh, the Olympic organizers so long to make that decision? It, it really does kind of seem like a no-brainer. Well, I think in the end, yes. I, I would want people to understand, though, that the, the people of Japan have poured billions of dollars and an incredible amount of energy in, in hoping to showcase their country. The the broadcasters, of which I'm sure your organization plays a part, have paid an enormous amount of money to get these to go off. And the situation is changing so incredibly quickly that even three weeks ago, I don't think that they saw this as a, as a necessary step when it's become clear that it has today. Talk a little bit, because you are a former Olympian, talk a little bit about... Uh... Uh, how disappointing it must be for somebody who's trained for years, uh, you know, to go and take part in this incredible event where every all the best from all around the world are there, and then it's not happening. That has to be incredibly disappointing. Try and help us understand what that's like for an athlete. Well, probably pretty difficult to put into words. The best that I can think of is if your listeners would consider the thing that they have cared about most in their lives, the thing that they've put the most of themselves into in their lives. So, you know, think of a fourth-year medical student and the school shuts down six months before graduation, and there's no guarantee that the degree will be worth anything, no guarantee that their credits will transfer. 
that's the position the athletes are in right now. And there are so many more questions for them than there are answers. And it's something that they've not just dedicated the last four years of their lives to. In many cases, it's six, eight, ten years where this has been yeah. a, a singular focus. So the, the, the sense of loss is significant right now. Yeah. Um, Jeff, final thoughts, uh, just before I've, I've only got a minute or so left here, anything else you wanted to get out there, but uh, it just, it really is, is sad that this has happened. But uh, again, when it's the right decision, maybe it's a bit easier to deal with. I don't know. Well, I think it is. And I think people should know that, um, the decision came from looking at the safety of the athletes first. There was no chance that they could train as they needed to train to compete at an Olympic games. Canada said, right, we're not going to train. That being the case, there is no way that we can field a team for July 24th. So in the interest of keeping our community safe, it was the right move. I was happy Canada made it first, and I think we'll see the world follow suit very quickly. Jeff, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Jeff Powell, Executive Director of the Canadian Sport Centre of Manitoba and a former Olympian. So no Olympics for our athletes, uh, we'll see how quick um, they make a decision on whether or not they will postpone the Olympics. And then, of course, you know what other countries are going to do. We'll keep you updated right here on CJOB. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.